Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. So today we're going to get into uh, the next chapter. And like I did last week, we're going to read a large portion of Scripture. This is a very, very interesting um, kind of bizarre passage of scripture in some ways in the whole book of judges is weird but the story of samson is particularly weird the title of today's message is called conflicted conflicted okay conflicted we'll get into understanding as to why that is um but the big idea of the message is this compromising god's word brings pain and destruction not peace Okay? Compromising God's word brings pain and destruction, not peace. Okay? You will see in this upcoming chapter that we're going to read that Samson was conflicted about his God-ordained conflict. Kendall, can you take this picture? Is she gorgeous? I don't know. <laughs> She's turning bright, as bright pink as her sweater. Um, he is conflicted about his God-ordained conflict, hence the title, okay? So let's get into it. Judges chapter 13, verse 25, and then we're going to read the entirety of chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, follow along. Lord, I ask that you would just bless the reading of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate its truths to our heart as we uh, not only just read it, but dissect it. And, uh, and glean from it today what this ancient text means to our present circumstances. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Verse 25 of 13. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan. I think that's how you say it, Dan. Between Zorah and Eshtol. So the Spirit of God began to stir in Samson. And this is what he does with it. <laughs> okay? Verse 14. Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Like he'd never seen a woman before. There was a girl. <laughs> now get her for me as a wife. I think things happened a little differently back then, right? You know, the arranged marriage scenario, right? But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives and among all the people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? This is a very, very important verse right here. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eye. We'll get there. That's a very important passage. Okay? His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he, had, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. That is a bizarre passage. We'll check that. Verse 5. I won't stop after every verse. Here we go. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. You know why that is, when you're tearing your young <laughs> Apparently that was a thing. <laughs> I haven't done it in a while, but I can see what they're talking about. Okay. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. <clears throat> then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hand and went on, eating it as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped it, the honey from the carcass of a lion. <clears throat> I wouldn't eat. That's gross. If he had, do you think they'd be like, oh, yeah, I have some. No, Samson, that's gross. Verse 10, his father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. That's guys right there. You create a feast, guys come running. I'm surprised there wasn't more than 30. 30 companions to be with him. This is all related to ancient uh, marriage practices. Some of this stuff's not going to sound, it's going to sound different to us, but it's because that's how they did it. They had attendants, they had, the, the, like it says, in those days they, the, the, the groom prepared the feast and, and they had, did all these types of things. A seven-day wedding ceremony, feast, celebration. Aren't you fathers in here glad that you don't have to put on seven-day marriage festivities for your daughters? <laughs> Get done with one day, one day. All right. And Samson said to them, <clears throat> this is to his attendants, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater, came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. Of course not. Samson's the only one who knows what he's talking about. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. With friends like that, have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over, uh, wept over him and said, You only hate me. You don't love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I not even told my father and my mother. I'm not, I shall not tell you. She wept before him. The seven days that were their feast last, that the feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her. Because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, I can see the clock running down. And the sun, as the sun went down, they said to him, 
they, they responded to his riddle with a riddle. What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? So they answered the riddle by asking him another riddle. And we all know what the answer to that riddle is, don't we? It's not a hard riddle. What is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion? Samson answers it in the first part of his rebuttal. And he said to them, if you had not plowed my heifer, (laughs) a woman is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion. That's what he says. That's what he's referring to. And he calls her a heifer. (laughs) Not very polite, is it? No, not at all. Jeez, Samson, control yourself. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Eshkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told him the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Okay, you ready to break this sucker down? That is, if I were, I originally had intended to give the title of this message, Real Housewives of Timnah. (laughs) Right? I mean, but it's, I didn't think that would be appropriate. Anyway, I don't want that going up on the web as the title of (laughs) But this is a crazy passage of Scripture. The text plays out like a a tacky uh, afternoon soap opera, doesn't it? An afternoon soap opera that turns into a Rambo-esque war movie complete with massive body count. I can just picture Samson. You know, one, two, three, four, the bodies are like, you know, 30. As an adult, Samson rebelled against his divine calling to deliver his people, and instead tried to assimilate with the enemies of Israel and of God. What you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. Like Israel as a whole, Samson treated his special status with contempt. He completely ignored both his Nazarite vow and the regulations of Israel's covenant. From Mount Sinai. Samson's parents t- tried to persuade him to find a wife among his own people, but he insisted that they get her for him because she was right in his eyes. This is essentially the story of the entire book of Judges. Judges 21-25 ends the book of Judges with this phrase. And though in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I think that, that, that's a very interesting passage. There was no king in Israel. Now, what is this referring to? This is not referring to the Davidic line of kings. If you remember, Israel was never supposed to have a human king. They were supposed to be a different type of nation, <clears throat> a theocracy, where God ruled and he disseminated his rule through his priesthood. Right? So when this passage is saying, in those days, there was no king in Israel, I believe this is capital K-I-N-G. 
that they, they rejected their king, they rejected God, and they did whatever was right in their own eyes. Now, I don't have to I mean, go into too much detail to draw the comparison between our current world and culture. Do I? No. That's the, because that's the tendency of humanity. It happened right at the beginning in the garden, didn't it? What, did the, what does the word say? She saw the fruit was good and delicious to eat. She saw that the, the thing that God said no to was right in her own eyes. So in this passage, Samson is starting to, the degradation of his vows. He is touching things that are dead. He's not supposed to be around dead bodies. He's taking food out of them. And sometimes when you read this story of Samson, you have to start wondering, is Samson all, is all there? <laughs> There's some things about Samson that just, he's a little off. Just like eating honey out of a carcass. Like, you don't even have to be like a Nazarite to be like, that's just gross. He reminds me of like the jocks that I used to coach in high school. I mean, we'd have a full-on basketball practice, right? These guys are dripping. They're, like, they're nasty. Nasty. The smell, not good. These guys would go into the locker room, put on their clothes, and go to work at Burger King. I bet you don't go to Burger King for lunch today. I mean, honestly, they didn't think anything of it. They're tapped. They're Frontal court, their frontal lobe was not developed yet. I think some ways Samson is that same way. They had no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Matthew chapter 6 says this. And I want you to try to bring this in. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if that darkness, so if, if the light within you is, if, if it is dark inside of you, how great is that darkness? It will lead you down paths you didn't even know you were on. Think about that. Walking in darkness leads you down paths you didn't even realize you were on. Because your eyes, Samson, Samson is that way. He saw what was right in his own eyes. But we know the Lord's purpose will prevail. Okay? In verse 4, it says this, His father and mother didn't know what it was, that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at the time that Philistines ruled over Israel. This verse is kind of key to understanding the whole chapter. It doesn't mean that Samson's behavior was right, but it does tell us that God was in control. Using Samson's willfulness to work out his Proverbs 19, many of the plans of man's heart, and sometimes that plan includes the women. I love how he just went down to Timnah and said, whoa, there's a woman in Timnah. There was a lot of women in Timnah, but his eyes were caught on one. Guys, we tend to do that. We've got to be careful. Many of the plans of man's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. It's the Lord's purpose that prevails, right? 
So God's not, God's not thrown by Samson's willful disobedience. He's not like, oh, no, I picked the wrong guy. What am I going to do? Oh, oh well, I guess I'll leave Israel underneath the Philistines. No, 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 no. God is able to work all things together for the good. Now, it doesn't say everything is good or all people are good, but God works things out. He's bigger than that. I think we see like one path, and then God like sees all these paths that, make, that finally get everything to where he wants it to be. He's not, he's not uh, limited by our forward linear time. Many of the plans. Now, this brings into the, the question of, like, what is, what is it to be strong? What is strength? Samson's behavior is in direct contrast to his physical feats. What is godly strength? It says in verse 5 and 6, And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces. <clears throat> if you, Samson's, it's kind of hard to see, but Samson's in that picture there. See him there? When I first looked at this graphic, I'm like, I love this graphic, but where's, oh, there he is. He's right here. Look at, look at, he's like a, we, how many people have the image of Samson from like storybooks or Sunday school that he's like a, he's like a superhero, you know, full bulging biceps and, you know, six-pack abs. He's Thor. I'll tell you, I'm jealous of Thor. Chris Hemsworth is a beast. Anyway, the idea is this. The Bible does not describe the physical appearance of Samson. It never describes the physical appearance of Samson, ever. I mean, he might have just been a dude. He might have just been scrawny and homely, like me. No, you're not, Pastor. Come on, come on. Come on. Oh, come on. Okay, but he, it doesn't ever, it never says he was like this, but we as humans want to do that. The original language carries the idea of the strength coming upon Samson very quickly so that there would be no doubt that it was from God. I mean, Samson wasn't like lifting weights that morning and he's like, you know what, that workout really helped. I ripped that lion in half. No, it was not that way. It was like obvious that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he did something that was completely outside of his natural ability. And as we see, his act of physical strength never satisfied because of his massive weaknesses of character. In many ways, the life of Samson serves as a warning to us. It has everything, he has everything, a servant of God needs, but he does everything a servant of God should not do. He's everything that a servant of God should not be. He's a direct antithesis of the person of Jesus Christ. See, the Spirit of God rushed on Samson, but then it went away because Samson did what was evil. When the Spirit of God came on Jesus, it remained. 
it remained. It came out of in the, in the form of a dove. Remember that, that passage? And it says it remained. The writer has also showed us that potential of this man when the spirit came on him. That he could tear a line apart with his bare hands. But as we move into the next few verses, we begin to see his weakness as it is revealed. If only he had exercised some of the self-discipline he learned in his Nazarite vows. If only he could have harnessed the potential that God had given him, directing it intentionally. Remember last, last week we talked about embryonic power, potential energy? If he could have directed that potential energy in a way God, imagine, imagine what Samson could have accomplished. We will never know the could. Women would never have been his downfall, and his life would not have ended so tragically. Okay, so what's with the riddles? Let's get into the riddles. What are they doing? What is the point of the riddles? What is going on here? It's actually very, very, it's not like theological. In the, it is this. Riddles were a popular form of entertainment, and they would often been used at wedding feasts. Moving on. No, I mean, the riddles were something that they did. It's like, like having attendance and, and making, this was part of what they did. Imagine having to fill the time of a seven-day wedding celebration. You might resort to riddles, too. What are we doing? We're sitting in here. We've got to be here for six more days? Let me tell you a riddle. <laughs> All right? I mean, it's just, what happened? Samson believed he has an unbeatable hand because he's the only one who has a clue as to what he is referencing. So he gambles big. Samson's friends answer his riddle while at the same time posing their own riddle that gives a clue as to how he, they, they, they got the riddle answer, right? Honey and the lions answer Samson's riddle. But what is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion? A woman's Excitement. Nagging woman. <laughs> the, the idea, I mean, found through the ages. Women have been our Achilles heel, right, guys? Because they're just so awesome. They smell good. They look good. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. All the guys are like, yeah, <laughs> totally makes sense. I would tell the real too. Um, but Samson had no ability to resist this. Samson demonstrates his skill at riddles by immediately saving, uh, solving their riddle and talking about his heifer that they plowed with. It sets a scene for the conflicts which God had always intended. See, uh, the, the title of today's message is Conflicted. Because Samson was meant to be in a conflict with these people. He was meant to be in a conflict with them. Instead of being in conflict with the enemy of God, Samson was attempting to play house with them. 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Folks, 
I was a youth pastor for a long, probably too long of a time. I love youth, but they wear you down. As you get old, guess what? When you work with youth, you start feeling really old. <laughs> but the idea is this. One of my major talks with them is like, folks, listen, kids, understand. You, by the decisions you make here at this moment in your time, the short life that you live, the moments that you have in this just very short period of time, decisions that you make in that moment can and will affect the rest of your life. Mistakes that you make here have ripples that will go into the rest of your life. And I try to impress this upon them. It is so vitally important that we understand this passage. Let me explain it to you. A yoke is a wooden bar that joins two oxen to each other and and the burden they pull. So not only is Samson equating women with heifers, but so is God apparently. No, no. Talk about yoke oxen. Now, back in the day, you understood this. Well, we don't use that anymore. We don't, we don't plow with oxen anymore, unless you're in Pennsylvania. But we use tractors and stuff like that. But back in the day, they would have two oxen. They would, they would tie those oxen together, what they called a yoke. And it was a piece of wood that went over the, the shoulder and neck of the ox, and it had a loop on two loops on it, and they would put their necks in there and tie those oxen together. Now, here's the interesting part about that. An unequally yoked team has one stronger ox and one weaker, or one taller and one shorter. The weaker or shorter ox would walk more slowly than the taller and stronger one, causing the load to go around in circles. Oh, I've been here before. Oh, here we are again. Oh, boy. We're not getting a whole lot done, are we? This isn't the straightest line I've ever plowed. You know, it's just it's what happens. Okay? They're going around in circles. When oxen are unequally yoked, they cannot perform the task set before them. Samson had a task set before him, yet he unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And it caused him to spin his wheels to go in circles, to to not move forward in his purpose. He was conflicted. Instead of working together, they are at odds with one another. Folks, I've known so many believers who have made this simple mistake early in their lives. And this one simple mistake of not being patient on God to provide a believer for them to spend the rest of their life in marriage with has impacted them, impacted their, their children, and impacted their, I would say, their effectiveness as a Christian witness. And I'm telling these people are awesome. They're awesome. Uh, I, and here's the, God, ladies and gentlemen, let me, just, let, me just, let me just say something real quick. There is something as a, a man and there's something as a woman. Isn't that profound? That there's men and women? And that's it. Men and women. Okay? Let me explain this to you. There's men 
and then there's women. Did you guys hear me then? Okay, that's important. Okay, sometimes I wonder if we have to go back to basics in our culture today and, and say, like, guess what? A man's a man. A woman's a woman. All right. Now that's out of the way. Okay. The idea is this. The concept is, I've seen this so often. Mom, you can, you can attest to this, that in our church, in our, in, our, in our times, often, especially when it's the woman who's the believer and the husband is not. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry, women. I don't want to pick on you. But often, unfortunately, the kids follow their father away from God. I ju- I'm not, there's no, I mean, no statistics in the word of God. It just seems to be the way it is. Guys, we have to be the priests of our home. We have to be. We have to be on fire. We have to be completely consecrated to the purpose of God in our lives, not just for our own sakes, not for our community, but for our children. It's, it's, I don't know why, Mom, we've had this conversation many times. I don't know why that is. It's unfortunate. But that seems to be the way it goes. And uh, we, need, we need men. I was talking to Michael the other day. He was praying about that yesterday in, Bible, in a prayer meeting, about men in our country, men in our God, help our men in this church to want you more and more and more. This, of course, applies to marriage. This concept of unequally yoked. And this is how the passage is usually interpreted. Uniting a believer with an unbeliever is essentially uniting opposites, which makes for a very difficult marriage relationship. But I want to take it a step further. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's Proverbs. I'm all I'm saying is be careful. Be careful who you allow yourself to be around all that. I'm not saying we should be like isolationists, you know, what's coming to the church and nobody. I am not saying that. I am an evangelical. I want to evangelize. I want to intermingle with the world and I want to uh, impact the world for the gospel. What I am saying is this be careful, little eyes. What you see. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. It's an old song for children's church, but it, it really is impactful. We have to be careful that we don't unequally yoke with this culture, with this world. Just as Samson was supposed to be in conflict with the enemies of God, yet literally got into bed with them, so we too are supposed to be in conflict with the world systems, not married to them. We're not supposed to get comfortable with sin. We are not supposed to, be, uh, to integrate sinful practices into our Christian life. Filled with the Holy Spirit and power, we should be taking back what the enemy has appropriated. When we fraternize with the enemy, we compromise our calling. We end up like Samson. And your wife gets married to your best man. No, no. No, that's not, no. That doesn't happen to everybody, just Samson. 
No, what, is, what does it do, though? You become defeated and frustrated. What did it say at the end of that passage? It says, Samson went away in hot anger and went back to his father's house. He became defeated and he became frustrated. It was destined to fail for Samson, but God's purpose always prevails. When the Spirit of God came upon him in power, he went to Ashkelon, a coastal town 23 miles from Timnah, Timna, which was one of the five main Philistine cities. He killed 30 men. This is the Rambo part of the Real Housewives of Timnah. He killed 30 men, gave their clothes to the men who had given him the answer to his riddle, and went back home. The contrast is absolutely striking. The Spirit of the Lord came on Samson in a sudden endowment of superhuman strength. But he returned home burning with anger. Why? He was used mightily by God. So why is he frustrated? I'll tell you why. God was using Samson in spite of of his failings, not because of his faithfulness. God was using Samson in spite of his failings, not because of his faithfulness. Listen, I don't want that to be said about me or this church. Matthew 16, 28 says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know that God's church is going to prevail over the evil of this time, over hell and this world, and he is going to use the church to do it. I am part of that church. New life is part of that church, and I don't want it to be said. I do not want it to be said that God used David and New Life Church in spite of their failings rather than because of their faithfulness. How about you? God's going to get his program accomplished. And he may even use you in spite of your failings, thank God, because we're not perfect. But I would rather be known for God using me because of my faithfulness. It is my, and I wrote this down, I wanted to make sure I said that, it's, it's my utmost desire. How many people have heard this passage and can agree with me today, this is one of their utmost desires? Matthew 25, 23, well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. I want to hear that someday. I don't want to get there and go, yeah, we accomplished a lot of things, but we had to like really work around your faithlessness, your faults, your issues. I want him to say, David, you weren't perfect, but you were faithful. You were faithful. Henry Valery challenged a young D.L. Moody with these words. The world has yet to see 
what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. Now, later on, D.L. Modi met Henry Valerie, and he said, I was at a sermon when you, you said that. And, and, and Henry Valerie was like, I don't even remember saying that. And since, uh, Moody's like, you did, you said it. Because he said, in my heart, I said this to myself, by God's help, I will be that man. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I am to be that man. Imagine what God could have done with Samson if he had been fully consecrated to him. Now personalize it. Personalize it. What could God do with you if you were fully consecrated to his purpose? Imagine. I think you could do Far better than Samson did. You're like, well, I'm, not, I, I don't, I'm not super strong like Samson. Why not? There's no indication that Samson did any of that strength feats in his own power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will give you power. Power. That's what it says. Power. What if we as a church consecrated ourselves to God? pleaded with him to fill us with his spirit and power and put ourselves in direct opposition to evil rather than flirting with it. Man, I want to talk to you just for a second. When's the last time you pleaded with God for his spirit and his power? When's the last time you spent... Any time on your knees pleading with God to fill you with his spirit and power. I challenge you today. I challenge you today to make that a priority in your life. You have a huge responsibility to lead culture. And how do we lead culture? By leading our families. Ladies, that's no knock on you. When's the last time? You ask God to fill you with spirit, his spirit and power. When's the last time? What amazing things God would do with a people like that. I'm going to ask you today to take a bold step. Don't be faint of heart. Take a courageous, bold step. A Nazarite vow of sorts. To get in the conflict with evil. Get in the conflict. Don't be conflicted. Get in the conflict. You hear me? Don't be conflicted. Get into the conflict with evil. I am not saying that you go out and start having confrontations with everybody. That's not what I'm saying. Pastor told me I should argue with you. Pastor told me I should get in some fights. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, let's get in the conflict with evil. Let's not, you know, stop flirting with sin, huh? To be wholly consecrated to God's purposes. If this is what you want in your life, 
and your heart is burning <laughs> like mine has been in prepping this sermon. If that's you, if you can stay with me today, I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be consecrated and faithful servant to God so that I can hear well done. Well done. I want more Holy Spirit power in my life. If that is you today, stand right now. It's a big call. If it's not you, don't stand. Now look around. Okay, look around. It's not this eyes closed, heads bowed, nobody looking around. Look around, people. I hope you mean it. I mean it. I do. I mean it. I want to be that person. And I want our church to be that church. And as it looks right now, that's the kind of church we are endeavoring to be. That's what we want to be. I had a whole bunch of stuff to encourage people to stand, but I don't have to use it now. Because you guys are here with me. You're here with me, huh? Hallelujah. Let's be that church. Let's be that church, shall we? In our culture, not just in this room. Now, here's the thing. It can't be just in this room. I was going to say earlier, if you can't stand here, you can't stand out there. But apparently you can stand here, so we need to stand out there. Okay, we got to. We got to. And we can. Not by our strength, not by our power, but by the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I ask you right now to pour out your Holy Spirit on my brothers and sisters. Lord, fill us with your spirit and with power. God, I pray for a burden to burn inside of the men in this room that they would take moments in their days to plead with you, to fill them with the spirit and with more power than they'd ever known so they could be the light in this world to their families, to their jobs. Lord, I pray for the women in this, this, this room today in your church that, Lord, that you would give them a fullness of your spirit and power. Lord, I pray that our men would be men. Manly men who understand what true power is. True power is consecrated, is consecration to God's purpose. Lord, I pray that our women in this church would be so feminine and wonderful. Everything that you created them to be, they would be the Psalm, uh, the Proverbs 23 woman. There's no weakness in the Psalm, the Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 23 woman. 21, 23. 31, thank you. I knew I was off a little bit. Proverbs 31 woman. There's no weakness in that. Go look up 21. We'll see what the problem is there. There is no weakness in the Proverbs 31 woman. God, I thank you for this church. A part of the greater church. Help us to be the body part that you ordained us to be. Help us to function where you need us to function. And Lord, help us to be consecrated to your purpose and not be conflicted about the conflict. Like Michael said earlier in his prayer, we pray these things and we anticipate the return. When we ask for the Holy Spirit to fall, we know that you're happy to give the Holy Spirit to your children. 
when we ask for the power to do the work, we know that you're pleased to give us the power to do the work. So not only do we pray for it, we expect it. In the powerful name of Jesus, we call for it. 